Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Bearded Things. I'm one of your bearded hosts. My name is Chris. I'm here with my buddy Tyler. Tyler, how hey. you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, another week went by really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, do you hear something in the background? I kind of do. I think that might be our special guest this evening. What? So That's hello. Yeah, uh, we'd like hello. to give a big bearded welcome to our friend Mary. Mary, now you are an associate marriage and family therapist, associated professional clinical counselor, currently working as a clinical case manager working with homeless veterans, and you have a master's in counseling in psychology. Yes, all of those things. And also to mention her greatest achievement of all, which is the pleasure of being my sister. Yeah, having to know both of you guys for a while. <laughs> poor, yeah, poor that's thing. part of life. <laughs> yeah, it made your life better, right? We made you who you are. <laughs> Definitely made me stronger. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So we brought you on today because uh, it's a very special month. It is Suicide Awareness Month. And uh, we thought maybe you would be a great person just to kind of give a voice and help us understand things a little bit more than we currently do. And I am excited to be on and talk about this. Um, little caveat that it's my perspective and everyone kind of works in a different way. So don't take my perspective as like whole truth of like what the field is like. Just kind of put that out there. So it's kind of a disclaimer where if you do have an issue, consult your physician and doctors. This is just some uh, an opinion, opinion worth of, uh, let me try that part over. It's just <laughs> your, your medical opinion based on some studies. Yeah, I mean, based off of like my education and what I've done, but just also I work in a very, um, I guess like existential like humanist way. And some people are a lot more, I don't wanna say like clinical, cause obviously like I am also clinical, but they work in a way that it's like very cut and dry. And I work more of like a holistic, like whole person approach. So just throwing that out there, like the informational brain is so based work, off of like education and like trainings and stuff that I've done. So you're saying you work more in the gray, not necessarily so black and white. Yeah. That would probably be a better way of wording that. <laughs> Good. See, that's why, that's why we do the podcast, Mary. <laughs> we just sum things up. We use words. It's our yeah. forte. You could just call Perfect. yourself a hippie. And I think that would have sufficed as well. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That probably would have been an easier way to do it too, <laughs> which is also true. So uh, this week, our stories are going to be themed towards uh, psychological slash paranormal slash just odd stories that we think are very important to have a conversation about. Uh, This week, I'm going to be doing uh, a very famous family. I'm doing The Vanishing of Rosemary Kennedy. Ooh, nice. I'm going to be covering uh, not necessarily a story per se or an incident or anything like that, but I'm going to be talking about... um, one of the evolutionary psychology responses, which is the fight or flight response. Nice. So without further ado, should we jump into our stories? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Awesome. I believe, uh, you went first last week, so I get to go first this week. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And Mary, please feel free to jump in where you, you find something interesting or, uh, funny, or if you think I'm just hilarious, you could also tell me that. And, uh, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, but I will add in if I see anything that I feel like it needs to be put in there. You can see us? Yeah, I can. I told oh, you. Shit. I'm also a hippie witch, so you know. 
I told you she's a hippie. I got that third eye. I was gonna tell you not to interrupt my story because I'm your older brother and I'll still beat you up, but um no, I'm scared, so feel free to interrupt my story. She will hex you, sir. Right. <laughs> All right, so I will be covering the vanishing of Rosemary Kennedy. For the first time in our history, mental health is something that is no longer completely taboo. People are much more open to discussing issues, and more and more people are realizing that this is an area that has been very underserved in our society. Change was inevitable. It wasn't always the case, however. Just a generation ago, it was still widely unacceptable to suffer from things like depression and PTSD, and the generation before that, well, it could get bad. The story I'm about to tell may be triggering to some listeners. We're going to discuss issues of mental health and its treatment in one particular case, and for some listeners, it really might be triggering, so listener discretion is advised. The Kennedys are often referred to as America's Royals. Prominent members of the family are well-known lady slayers. We have John F. Kennedy reaching the highest office in the land, Robert Kennedy quick to follow in his footsteps, and the literal lady slayer, Ted Kennedy, a longtime serving senator. He killed, like, I think two women, and nothing happened to him, so right on. That was clever. Thank you. A little bit about the family. Patriarch Joseph Kennedy was a hard man. He made a very large chunk of his fortune from bootlegging during the Prohibition, but wanted more for his family. He had extremely high expectations for his children and accepted nothing less than perfection. Rosemary Kennedy was born on Friday the 13th, September of 1918. She's the eldest child to Joseph and Rose Kennedy and the oldest sister to JFK, RFK, and Teddy. As Rosemary grew, it became apparent that she had some behavioral and educational difficulties. Specialists later told the Kennedys that her development issues was due to oxygen deprivation she suffered as a result of a, quote, uterine accident. Her disabilities were often hidden or disguised by her family to avoid the stigma of being associated with, quote, defective genes. And despite her attendance at more than a dozen special schools in the United States and Britain, Rosemary struggled with reading and writing well into adulthood. Joe Kennedy became the ambassador to Britain in 1938 and brought the entire family to the UK. Rosemary was a sensation. The British press absolutely loved her. She regularly made the front page with headlines detailing what she was wearing and who she was going out with. This went on for months. It began to take its toll, though. As the months went on, she would have speech issues when the newspapers would ask her questions and they would take her picture while she was walking. She would have uncontrollable body movements or fall. More and more pictures began, including Joseph Kennedy, with a very tight grip on her arm and they'd get tighter and tighter with each picture. In September of 1939, Britain declared war on Germany. The Kennedy clan quickly moved back to the States for safety. Rosemary stayed behind with her father. When the Blitzkrieg started, Joseph had moved her to the Belmont House, a Montessori school in the country. The Montessori method focuses on all five senses to develop a child's learning. After a few weeks there, Joseph enthusiastically wrote to his wife, she is contended completely to be teaching with the mother Isabel. She is happy, looks better than she ever did in her life is not the slightest bit lonesome and loves to get letters from her siblings telling her how lucky she is to be here, which seems totally legit. By legit, I mean like complete crap. Like anytime you have to write to somebody, be like, tell her how great it is. It's generally not that great. Yeah. Now this is where it gets a little tricky. Joseph's known Nazi sympathies combined with his outspoken opinions that Britain could not win the war and that democracy was finished made his withdrawal as ambassador inevitable. In November of 1940, with America on the brink of joining the conflict, 
he was sent back to the United States, his political, his political career in ruins. Rosemary accompanied him, and from this point, her life took a tragic downward turn. The progress she had made at the Belmont house completely vanished. She reportedly had violent seizures and temper tantrums, lashing out at those around her, even her own younger siblings. So they did what any logical family would do. They sent her to a convent. She hated it. Her cousin Anne Gargan has said many nights the school would call to say she was missing, only to find her out walking the streets at 2 a.m. She would be found in pubs and taverns, getting the attention from men that she missed, using them for a temporary escape, and, well, blatantly, she'd use them for sex. The sisters of the convent informed Joseph that this is going to look bad for his political career and his family as a whole, so he did the next big logical thing. Joseph began investigating surgical solutions, and in November of 1941, he, without consulting his wife, authorized two surgeons, Dr. Walter Jackson Freeman and James W. Watts, to perform a lobotomy on Rosemary. She was just 23 years old. The next part, yeah, the next part was taken from history.com. Quote, the lobotomy, a new psychosurgical operation that involves separation or removal of pathways between lobes of the brain. Uh, they would take essentially a, uh, an ice pick and put it between the eyeball and the eye socket and just kind of make mush of the brain in the frontal lobe. They believed it was to be a cure for a multitude of psychological delinquencies such as alcoholism and nymphomania. <laughs> Up to 5,000 lobotomies a year were performed in the United States during the 1940s, the majority on young women. In total, Dr. Freeman was single-handedly responsible for almost 3,000 of these procedures. Holy and, shit. Yeah. An article in, in the Saturday Evening Post in May 1941 praised Freeman's, quote, pioneering work and offered hope that the surgery could make patients who were quote problems to their families and nuisances to themselves into quote useful members of society man where was this thing when we were kids mary <laughs> it's never too late in like the mid-50s <laughs> drilling holes into rosemary's skull dr freeman inserted a knife and began cutting away the frontal lobes of her brain Strapped tightly to the table, she was awake and terrified through the procedure. Suddenly, she fell silent and lapsed into unconsciousness. The procedure had been a complete failure. Rosemary could no longer walk or talk and never recovered the use of her limbs. She spent the next 64 years of her life in different institutions requiring full-time care. It's believed that Joseph Kennedy ordered the doctors to state, uh, that she has no visitors because they could disrupt and confuse her. Some speculate it was to avoid the charge by political rivals that there was, quote, lunacy in the family. The eldest Kennedy daughter was eventually given a private cottage on the grounds of St. Coletta's, a special school in Wisconsin. She lived there quietly, secluded from the press and prying eyes. She lived uh, forgotten by the world with very few companions except the devoted nuns who cared for her. She occasionally showed tiny signs of progress, but these would vanish again, and for the last years of her life, she was huddled in a wheelchair, unrecognizable as the vibrant, beautiful woman who had dazzled the British press in the 1930s. She died in 2005 at the age of 86. Damn. Now, it's a bit of a downer story, but I think uh, it just goes to show how far we've come as far as these kind of issues go. Um, I, I don't yeah. know what was wrong with her. They don't have a record of what's wrong with her. I'm sure the Kennedy spent a lot of money making all of that disappear. Yeah. 
but she seemed like a vibrant, young, healthy girl that they just didn't know how to reach or how to help. So they turned her into a vegetable. Yeah, that's crazy. Sure. Um, She was like later, they kind of decided that she probably had depression. Um, I remember like talking about this in one of my psych classes, actually, that um, the lobotomy was like not, I guess, like failed in a way because they did like too much. Um, but it was pretty much that they were saying that it was like her depression. She kind of like went into like catatonic states when she was really, um, like deep in it. So the lobotomy like coupled with depression is what really caused the downward spiral. Well, I was saying like the reason why they chose to do the, the, the lobotomy. Prior to the lobotomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prior to the lobotomy, they were like, we don't know what's wrong with her. And it's like, no, I think she just has like really deep like depression and like realistically there's probably some type of like PTSD in there that like no one really knew about. Yeah. Especially like back then too, like everything, especially with women when it came to some sort of, you know, if they were acting off or whatever, like they had like the, what do they call it, like the hysteria, like women were, oh, it, was yeah, like hysteria. A, a, it was like an official diagnosis that like she, oh, she suffered from hysteria and it's like, no, she's like depressed or she has anxiety or something's wrong with her. It's like, nope, she's hysterical. Like, yeah or or she even just had an opinion that differed from her husband or father's yeah there's that yeah (laughs) so it's a very my my story is a big downer and i'm sorry for that but i think it's an important one to have especially uh with today's conversation i think there was just uh, so much that's happened and i think this family just hiding everything isn't unique or um I don't know how else to say that. I, I mean, it's, it was a pretty common thing, especially back then. I've heard stories of, you know, uh, a family friend who was special needs back in the fifties and they h- kept her hidden from everyone. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like a one-off occurrence, like, or just because they were in like the public eye either. Like this is something that is still an ongoing thing, depending on like cultural and like societal, like where you're at. But yeah, any type of like psychological need is still sometimes like looked down on absolutely yeah especially like the powerhouse like the kennedys like you're talking about like oh, joe kennedy sure. like he's just all about the image and like you know there's a thing i saw about jfk and rfk and like how like they just had plans from like as soon as jfk got out of the navy you know they're like oh we're gonna make him a president and it's like how do you make someone a president and joseph kennedy's like oh don't worry i'll take care of it you know um so it's just crazy like for them like it was all about that image and like for you know if his daughter's depressed or whatever she has going on, it's like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, we're just going to shut her out. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So sorry for being the downer and I'm sorry for kicking off the show yeah, on such geez, a, man. What the hell? a sour note. But I, again, I think it's something really important. And I think a lot of people don't really know the story of Rosemary Kennedy. So I think it's important to get her story out there. Yeah. I knew one of the yeah. sisters had had a lobotomy when they were younger, like when JFK and Robert were younger. Like I remember hearing about that and how like it affected the family, but I didn't know all the pre- the previous stuff about like they went to like London or Britain, Germany and all that stuff. Like that's crazy. What was interesting though was uh, when I was researching this, I came across what was called the Kennedy curse, which yeah. really makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. You had, I mean, I kind of made a, a little joke about Ted Kennedy earlier, but I mean, he had his share of problems. Of course, John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy were both assassinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, their parents, Joseph and Rose Kennedy, they both had strokes and died a few months apart much later in their lives. Uh, it was just a bunch of tragedy. John F. Kennedy Jr., another one who fell victim mm-hmm. 
to the to the curse. So I think I think there was just a lot that happened in that family that they just really tried to cover up and and keep quiet. But it's it's really is I think an American tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm going to cover JFK in a future episode because there's a lot that went on like during his presidency and a lot of stuff that he used to like hide and cover up and all of his philandering and stuff. So, Oh, absolutely. There's a ton. And a little side note and shout out to everybody out in Oxnard. There's even a tie into Oxnard to the Kennedy assassination. Oh, really? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it'll be a fun one. I promise. We'll get into that later. Oh oh, yeah. Assassination (laughs) is so fun. (laughs) So that's my story. Such a fun episode. Right? We're all going to be sad. We need you now. This is your moment, Mary. I'm going to talk about some really important stuff and we're going to bring the mood up. (laughs) Assuming everyone doesn't fall asleep in the process because there's a lot of science in this. This is going to be the best episode ever. (laughs) You guys thought my synchronicity episode was heavy. Wait till this one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we have some things we need to talk about in that episode. Oh, we can. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I'm just kidding. Go for it. Oh yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, that I when I fucked up on talking about Carl Jung and his specialty. It's um, all good. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> my bad. I'm not a psychologist, man. He's one of our grandfathers of the school that I graduated from, so I know a lot about him. I know he was played by I think Vigo Mortensen in that one movie. I, all I know is I could hear Mary's pinky in the air when she said that he's one of the grandfathers <laughs> of my school. <laughs> uh, okay, so we don't have. We're doing banter with the Beardsleys to come so we're not going to have the the segment in the middle of our topic so i'm going to get started with my topic if that's okay with you guys absolutely i guess bring it up please yes uh <clears throat> like i said so it's going to be not a heavy topic but there's a lot of learning ish in here i tried to like gonna get learned uh, today yeah <laughs> you gonna learn today um so yeah, so for today's episode, I wanted to quickly touch on something I think is fascinating when it comes to the world of psychology, and it's something I'm sure that almost all of you out there have heard in some form or the other, and that is the fight or flight response. The fight or flight response is also known as acute stress response or hyperarousal. Now, get your mind out of the gutter, you perverts. This Go on. Getting turned on in a sexual <laughs> situation. Uh, it's not like a, you know, we think of arousal as sexual, but it's not, that's not what we're talking about. Basically, like, you're... Your body senses are heightened. Your body starts to dump hormones and adrenaline into your body in preparation for you to, you guessed it, fight or run away. So the fight or flight response is part of the, the four big F's in evolutionary psychology. Those are fighting, fleeing, feeding, and f- uh, fornicating. <laughs> so why does this happen? Well, like many physical reactions, our body has to stress. It harkens back to you know evolution and our past where... We kind of need the ability to react quickly and decisively to survive. When we sense a threat, our autonomic nervous system goes into hyperdrive. This, the autonomic nervous system regulates all of our unco- unconscious actions, like breathing, heart rate, urination, digestion, you know, stuff that we don't consciously think about. A subsystem of the autonomic nervous system is our sympathetic nervous system, and this originates at the base of our spinal cord and functions to activate our physiological response to a threat. Essentially, this is how we get our adrenaline to start pumping. A second subsystem is called the parasympathetic nervous system, and this originates at the start of the spinal cord and revolves around the medulla oblongata. Mama says gators are so ornery because they got all them teeth and there's no way to brush them. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The parasympathetic nervous system is a response for keeping the body or is responsible for keeping the body in something they called homeostasis. Uh, It's basically everything kind of functions normally and we've fallen okay. 
And it's, it's key in the fight or flight response because without it, we would be in this constant state of dysregulation and we just have tons of like adrenaline pumping and stuff through our body. So I'm gonna give you a little scenario. Close your eyes, picture in your mind's eye. You're walking down the street and you see someone approaching and they're looking kind of shady. Our eyes and ears register our surroundings like a normal interaction, but all of a sudden this person approaches you and pulls out a knife. They demand that you give them all your valuables. Instantly our brain registers this as a threat and it goes into action. The amygdala or our emotional response machine registers the threat and it tells the hypothalamus to stop playing video games and get over here. The hypothalamus's main job is to make sure the nervous system can talk to the pituitary gland, which regulates our blood pressure, our energy levels, amongst other things. It also regulates our growth, our thyroids, our metabolism, um, a lot of stuff like that. So the hypothalamus is like, this better be good. And the amygdala pokes him and he goes, look stupid, this person has a knife. The hypothalamus is then like, oh, fuck. Hey, pituitary gland, time to do your job. The pituitary gland then sighs deeply and pulls off his glasses and he releases a hormone called ACTH or adrenocorticotropic hormone. And he's like, okay, let me get the adrenal gland. Basically, this is a hormone that kind of activates the adrenal gland and tells it to get to working. So meanwhile, the adrenal, adrenal gland, it's pacing back and forth. It's chugging energy drinks like a madman. And the pituitary gland says, hey, adrenal, check out this dude with a knife. The adrenal gland looks at the knife and yells out, let's do this, rips off his shirt, downs another Red Bull, and it crushes the can on his forehead and starts pumping out tons of epinephrine, or as it's more commonly known, adrenaline. The body, sensing all this adrenaline, starts to react, and it starts releasing another hormone known as cortisol. Cortisol in a medical form is actually one of the ingredients in hydrocortisone. Uh, the cortisone flowing through our body, it increases our blood pressure, it gives us energy by converting uh, our blood sugar, and it starts suppressing our immune system. The cortisol also binds with fatty acids in our system and it gives us even more energy and tells our muscles to wake the fuck up. It's time to make the donuts. This all happens in, a, in like milliseconds. We don't, sense, we don't sense the little chain of events, but we do sense many physical changes in our body. We'll feel our heart pumping faster and we'll begin to breathe more rapidly. Our hearing will become less sensitive. We'll develop tunnel vision as the blood moves from our like ocular nerves and our visual stuff uh, to our muscles trying to prepare it to get ready. Our blood, will, our blood will begin clotting to prevent excess blood loss in the event of trauma to the body and our muscles will tighten and tense as the body prepares for a fight. We will also feel shaking most of the time due to the increase in adrenaline. Like I said, all this happens within a matter of seconds of sensing a threat. Conversely, when we have deemed the threat to be over, it may take at, you know, around 20 minutes but upwards to an hour or more for our body to slowly come back to normal as our, our body kind of releases the adrenaline and everything. This is because the body does not want to get caught by the old, let me turn my back and turn around and hit you routine. So we're quick to get ready. Our body gets ready in a couple milliseconds and it takes, you know, dozens of minutes over, of an hour to get ready. Now, what do we do with all this information? How does it help us? Well, it depends on a lot, but mainly it comes down to some deep-seated psychological fears and what's at stake. If we have a deep fear of clowns, for example, like I do, I'm going to run away. I'm not going to turn and fight a clown. Fuck that. I'm out. But if we think back to like some hunter gatherer days, they're hunting a big animal and all of a sudden it turns around and begins to charge them. That's their livelihood. That's their life. If they don't eat, they're going to die. So they can't really run away. So you get one or the other. There's also a third F word when it comes to the fight or flight response. And that is the freeze. So you have fight, flight, or freeze. We either have a fear so deep and terrifying that the body doesn't know what to do with itself. So we literally freeze or it's something maybe we've never had an encounter with something like this. So the body tries to process what's going on, but many of our valuable glands 
and you know the stuff in our our brains that are supposed to be thinking about this stuff it's diverted all of its power you know we're trying to figure out whether we're going to fight or if we're going to fight or we're going to fly away kind of like the, like the uh, deer the, that's caught in the headlights like it doesn't want to uh, get hit but it has no idea no idea what this strange giant object is that's coming at it so fast so it freezes and gets hit by a car every single living creature on this planet has a different type of response to fight or flight based on their past experiences and fears if we're human or just past experiences and instincts if you're a less evolved creature or just a you know creature that doesn't typically have the same we don't think of like having as fears and stuff like that they see instinctual stuff to predators and i hear you asking hey tyler why haven't we evolved to turn off our fight or flight response we aren't chasing big animals for food and we rarely are approached by muggers on the streets good question essentially our fight or flight response is ever-changing and evolving it's something we always need our perception of threats changes as do our day-to-day interactions with other things we are not chasing wild animals with spears, but there are times when we still need those responses. We do not live in a world that is without threats after all, even though we are the most dominant species on the planet. We still need those responses to survive, and many of our threats are now becoming more psychological as opposed to physical, which is why we have our special guest, Mary, to talk about this coming up. I will leave you with an example from a research paper published in 1992 entitled Behavioral Ecology. They did an experiment. In this experiment, researchers exposed guppies, which are like those little tiny fish you may see in aquariums, to a smallmouth bass. So a, a guppy, for reference, is about an inch, maybe two inches long. Smallmouth bass is anywhere from what, like 12, 14 inches? Like they're big. So they exposed these tiny fish to this big bass. They then separated the guppies, guppies into three categories based on how they react to the bass. The three categories were bold, or they went up and they inspected the bass, Ordinary are those who simply hid from the bass, and timid are those who actively fled from the bass. After 60 hours of having this bass in a tank with all these guppies, 40% of the timid guppies were still alive. Only 15% of the ordinary guppies survived, and the, every single one of the bold guppies got gobbled up. They were all fish of the same species, but one third of them had a strong enough active response to run away, and of that third, less than half survived seems like pretty shitty odds but when we look at it from an evolutionary standpoint those 40 percent are going to be they're going to go on they're going to breed they're going to make little happy baby guppies that statistically are going to have a higher rate of survival because they're going to flee when a predator approaches it's survival of the fittest in most cases and in this particular case the fittest happened to be the ones who did not want to inspect something that was very largely you know exponentially larger than itself so that's my story. I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into more modern uses for fight or flight, but that would take like hours and we have a special guest and I don't want to waste all of our time sitting here, you know, talking about fight or flight and psychology for like 10 hours. But just remember next time when you're stressed out, you're feeling threatened, know that thousands of years of evolution is behind you and you're working hard to make sure that even though you're scared and you're, you're shaking and you're scared, evolution is behind you and it's helping you. Awesome, man. So yeah, so pretty much you've evolved to, even though you don't feel like it or think about it, you're, you've evolved to handle that situation that you're in. Essentially, yeah. Like our, our bodies, they, they make sure we're prepared in case we have to stand and fight our ground or we're going to turn and run away and it gives us like the blood to pump to our muscles so that our muscles are active and ready to go. And like, you know, people talk about like my muscles are on fire. It's literally like the amino acids and the fatty acids that are just burning through your muscles at that time, trying to make sure you're ready to go if you need to run away. There's also a really cool um, theory called the polyvagal theory that talks about like the way your body reacts, because obviously, like you said, like we're not hunter gatherers anymore. We're not having Mm -hmm. to like have our cortisol, you know, shoot up to go 
run and like chase down dinner. Yeah. But like <laughs> speak for yourself. <laughs> I mean, you still might, Chris. I don't know. <laughs> Most of us, you know, we just call or like go into our kitchen Uber, and make something. Uber eats. But um the polyvagal theory basically talks about that where like you get activated by your vagus nerve and you can go up into like sympathetic and then dorsal vagal and then you drop back down into ventral vagal. And like this again would take like a whole like episode to talk about. Um, but if you look that up, it can help you in terms of like when you get stressed out, if you have anxiety or depression, um, if you get angry, like that's a sympathetic reaction, which is also part of the polyvagal theory. Um, but so if you know that and you know how you react to certain things, you can then help to like pull yourself back into like homeostasis back into that ventral vagal state, it, which is a calm state. And allows you to be like more socially receptive and connective with others. Nice. Just an additional tidbit. No, that's good. I like that. <laughs> like I, that there is like a whole theory on it still, like that people have started to like look into more. And nice. it's really opened up over like the last like five or six years, I want to say. They've done a lot more like research on it. That's, that's pretty awesome. incredible. That's yeah. Good. I like that. Yeah. There's also a um addition to like, you know, fight flight freeze which mm-hmm. is not technically part of like the reaction, but like some people fawn, which oh, is uh-huh. more of like a learned response. So it's not so much like your body automatically does it, but this is more of like, if I've learned that mom and dad fight every day, and if I can appease one of them, I've learned that if I fawn, those there were air quotes around that, by the way, um, uh-huh. <laughs> if you fawn, you can, you know, keep yourself safe. So this not necessarily like i said an evolutionary reaction but like it is more of a nurture like learned response yeah i deleted like three paragraphs from my script about talking about that similar thing and like talking about how like in cases like domestic violence and domestic abuse how survivors have kind of developed that sort of trait where like they're just trying to pacify and Mm -hmm. how there were people that were saying that it's part of the fight or flight response it's just not as well known because it's just it's being studied more like modernly and more like recently but again i didn't want to take all that time so i I deleted all the paragraphs but yeah yeah. (laughs) but yeah it's a very important thing to talk about in terms of like the freeze too like i worked in a domestic violence and sexual assault center for two years and that's a huge thing like especially with like survivors being like i didn't even do anything it's like Mm -hmm. no your body was reacting the way it needed to to keep you alive exactly yeah yeah i think it's uh i think that having that conversation I think is really important and I'm glad that as a society we're finally getting to that point where unfortunately it's a commonplace thing yeah all right well those are some fun topics (laughs) Um, (laughs) we're going to transition into banter with the beards but before we do that we got to pay some bills so we'll be back after a quick commercial break and we're back. I hope you enjoyed that brief commercial break. Uh, hopefully Mary did not leave us during the commercial break. Mary, are you still here? I'm still here. Yay. Yay. You're, you're stuck with me for a while. All right. So now it is time for Banter with the Beardsleys. We have a ditty. We have a little jingle. It's totally cheesy, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, listeners, let us know what you think. And, yeah, it is time for Banter with the Beardsleys. And, Tyler, what is Banter with the Beardsleys? 
banter with the beardlies like i said it's kind of our middle segment of the show and what we do it's a little off the cuff we like to have a random conversation that we don't really know much of but hopefully which we've been getting more of and we're going to be doing tonight it's going to be a listener submitted question and you can submit it to the show either through our social medias you can email us at contact us at beardlythings.com or you know just direct message the any of the accounts and we're excited that this week we have mary still on board with us so she's going to kind of give her input as well with us so yeah unfortunately i'm not bearded so i guess they were not like oh see uh if you (laughs) if you actually listen to mary yeah you would know that you you don't need a beard to be a bearded friend yeah Mm, okay you don't literally have to have a beard it's like it's a way of life not a physical attribute exactly all right i can get down with that i thought she was your sister (laughs) i don't know i'm just the next guest we have on here, you have some ground to make up. <laughs> yeah, this one's bad. Okay, guys, I'm setting the bar low, so anyone after, because great. Can we get all go up from here? <laughs> all right, so for this week's episode of Banter with the Beersleys, we have a listener submission. It's from Michael, a.k.a. Mouse, and he asks, what if when we walk into a room and we forget while we're in that room, it's because when we walked in, we saw an alien and... MIB showed up and did the flashy thing to us. Huh. So what if... Uh, I like how this is like kind of like a hypothetical, so I'm going to question it. Just like, yeah. This is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Cool. So you walked in, you saw an alien, and then Tommy Lee Jones or Will Smith popped up and like staring at this thing. And then you get your memory deleted. I is mean... Is that what we think happened? He's saying like, what if that's like why we forget? Not necessarily like that's a scenario, but it's like that's why we forget while we walk into our room. I mean, I, I would be very disappointed if that's what happens. The, the government just came out and said UFOs are real and we don't know where right. they're from. <laughs> so at this point, I think it should just be like, don't control my mind. Let me have the memory of the thing. Besides, if I wanted to go public with, I totally just saw an alien in my kitchen. The, everyone's going to th- think I'm a nut job anyway. Yeah, no one will believe you anyway. So, uh, yeah. So if that's what's happening, I'm, I'm not okay with it. <laughs> Mary, what are your thoughts as our guest? Um, I would say I'm also not okay with it, mostly because I'm like, if Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones is coming in, like, can we hang out and like grab talk? <laughs> um, I don't think it's the actors. With the I think it's the agents of Men in Black. And you're telling me they don't work for Men in Black? I mean, I don't think so. Okay, do you know for sure? No, but wait, are also... they just strangers showing up to our houses and flashing us? I feel like that's worse. <laughs> Someone just—I mean, it depends on who flashes you, but hey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't I don't know, man. I I think uh I I would think they just have bigger things to to take care of than coming flashing, you know, people in their houses. So I think I mean, I would hope they have bigger things. See, I feel like for my own personal like so I feel better about myself. I want it to be true because otherwise it means I'm slowly like losing my mind and I'm going crazy as I'm getting older that I'm just forgetting things randomly. So I'm still going to go with, uh, we have a slip of the timelines. That could also, yeah, that's actually good. Actually, yeah, back to time I would, travel. yeah, I would believe that one. Yeah. That you kind of fell into a different, um, timeline versus yeah. like what was going on. You're like, Oh yeah, cool. I'm going into the kitchen cause I need something. Why did I come in here? Like, Oop, slipped into a, you know, different portal. And then, yeah. And then you end up coming back because when you sit back on the couch, you're like, dang it, I needed ice. That's why I went yeah. there. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. So, so yeah. For that brief moment, you kind of like lapsed into a different space. 
consciousness if you yeah. will it's like it's like the same thing like when you look at your phone to see what time it is and you put your phone in your pocket and you're like fuck what time is it? <laughs> and you have to pull it back out to look what time it is again i guess i think it's the same thing uh, absolutely yeah. it's absolutely. kind of like the processing like... error in your brain in a way yeah. <laughs> 404 error not found yeah <laughs> system um, must reboot like we were trying to go off of patterns and based off of that pattern we didn't actually listen to the details what if that's why we have to go to sleep at night it's because we're turning ourselves off and turning ourselves back on it's a hard system reboot. You have to do it. Yeah. I mean, the dreams are kind of like screensavers at that point. <laughs> That's, oh, okay. We're getting off. Yeah. We I'm just fall, per usual, we fall <laughs> off the deep in here with bed with the boosies. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Mouse, I think, so it's, it's what, two against one? You guys don't want it to be true and I want it to be true? I think so, yeah. I think we're both I'm going for alternate like timeline yeah. that we slipped yeah, into. That's also a very plausible. I like that theory as well, but just in context of the question i like thinking that i'm not going i'm not losing my mind and i'm not getting old and i mean in the the, uh, men in black defense say it is will smith showing up the little flashy thing before Mm -hmm. he flashed me i would just want to know is like is his character from independence day like part of the universe of the men in black it might be a stretch and like went into like the well, I guess men in black, like, like the government, the men in black, he went, you know, he's no longer a captain. Yeah, he's no longer a captain in the Marine Corps. he wasn't in the second Independence Day because he got killed in action. Air quotes killed in action. He yeah. actually, yeah. he went into uh, the men in black service and now he's doing like all four of them. And we're still waiting for that uh, crossover with 21 Jump Street, which Wait, is what? a thing. Yeah, they're, they, were, they were talking about doing a crossover film with 21 Jump Street and the next men in black movie. Oh, I could see that. Like, they, oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't I mean, think good. good yeah. Are they going undercover with MIB? Is that like what it was supposed to be? I don't Probably. know. I, they were talking about it like last summer and then I think things fell through and then COVID and then. Uh, okay. Yeah. Would it just be like alien language jump street? So we don't even know what like number it is anymore. <laughs> Unless it came out, it was really bad. And then they flashed all of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Forget this. One Mass collective. <laughs> I wonder if that, how Anywhere else that? that would be terrible. <laughs> well, they could just flash it at the end of the movie. Like on the big screen, the last scene is the big flash, and everybody forgets. But not everyone in the world would watch that movie, so not they would know the movie was being made from like trailers and stuff and commercials. It would be like, uh, have you seen Yesterday, the movie about the Beatles? Like if they never existed and this one kid remembered how to play their oh, songs. No, I oh, saw, yeah. I wanted to see that, but I never actually saw it. That movie actually looked really good. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting movie. And then, uh, I mean, kind of a spoiler, but not really like only a handful of people remember that the Beatles were real. Poor thing. Yeah. So they go to this guy's shows like we know too. And, uh, I think that's what would happen if, if men in black flash us at the end of the men in black 21 jump street crossover, like only a few people be like, no, we knew they made it, man. We were there. I was an extra. Oh, nice. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I was thinking more along the lines of um, the Kingsman. I think it was Golden Circle. Whenever he gets those fancy phones, and then it turns them into like killing machines. Yeah, and they all it. die. That's all I was thinking. Like they put it something to do with like the phones because everyone has a phone on them now. And that's true. And then that would make sense if there's only a handful of people that would remember because they don't have phones. like flip phones mm-hmm. or yeah or not phones. Yeah, they don't have those. The smart like, phone. app you open up. Oh, that's smart. What that's if it's why all they the made of TikTok? Right. Oh, it all comes together. I was about Think to about blame it. it on Facebook, but Boom. TikTok's even we better. We solved it. We did. Air high five. Uh, yeah, that was our train wreck, known as Banters the Beardsleys. Always <laughs> off the rails, which is great. The fan favorite train wreck, I should say. That's, we get more feedback on the banter with the Beardsleys than we do most things, so I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you all that listen. Yeah, thank you guys, and uh, be sure to submit your questions, comments, concerns. We'll definitely talk about it on the air, and uh, you can ask us anything, literally anything. We'll talk about yeah. it. 
So I just wanted to say a big thank you to Mary for coming out and spending time with us on our uh, on this episode, especially with it being Suicide Awareness Month and everything that's going on right now in the world. It's a pretty chaotic time from COVID and quarantine, the political climate, uh, BLM, and just everything that's happening. It's a lot to take in and it's a lot to process. Uh, Mary, do you have any tips, sure. pointers, or, or just what can we say about this? Um, well, first off, I think just having the conversation about it in general is huge. Um, most people hear suicide and want to completely like shut down, not talk about it, turn away. Um, even as therapists, there's a lot of therapists who, you know, you have a client bring it up in like the room and they're like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this. or I want to tiptoe around it. So just being able to like actually hold the conversation and sit with it is like a big thing. Um, but as I had mentioned in our side conversation before, um, in 2018, they lasted all the statistics around suicide. Um, they do it every two years just to like be able to catch up and I guess keep track in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 2018, 48,344 Americans died by suicide. Jesus. And suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. as of 2018. Um, that's crazy. And, you know, you think, like, that's a huge number. There was 1.4 million attempts. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. And then worldwide, it gets even larger. Um, there's about 800,000 suicides a year, which means that every 40 seconds, there is a death by suicide. Wow. And it's interesting because, you know, this is like what you can kind of count, but that you have to take into consideration that there's a lot of things that are um, kind of like that gray fuzzy area of mm-hmm. we don't know if it actually was or wasn't like, you know, car accidents, sometimes drug overdoses. Like, was that a on purpose thing? Was that, you know, an accidental thing? So yeah. it's just it's a lot to take in and like wrap your head around. But I think to confront it in a way like I don't want to say like confront because I don't want to seem like aggressive but to be able to look at it and see it and have the conversation around it I think it's like a really big deal and how what what's the right way to have that conversation I know people who are struggling not all but often tend to kind of bottle it up and, and just kind of keep it inside like how do you what would be a good approach to to start this conversation you tell them um, to suck it up and get some sunshine, right, Mary? <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> That's like the worst thing to do to say to somebody. Um, not the worst, but it's definitely like, that's not. It ranks up there pretty high. Yeah. One of the most terrible things you could tell someone who's feeling. Exactly. Who's already like, don't down dismiss, and like, ex- Yeah. It's like, don't dismiss someone's feelings or emotions that are going on. Um, I know... As like therapists, we're told to lean into it, lean into the discomfort of the conversation. Also based off of like being a therapist, we have very specific things that we have to follow because we're mandated reporters and our client Mm -hmm. is our first priority. Um, So for me, it's, you know, do you want to kill yourself? How are you feeling? Have you made a plan? How would you do it? Um, Very upfront Mm -hmm. for, you know, the, listeners who probably aren't therapists. I mean, some of them might be. Um, it's, hey, how have you been feeling? Checking in with those friends. Um, 
if you've noticed like behaviors changing, like, Hey, I noticed that like you haven't wanted to do stuff with us lately. Or I noticed that you've canceled all our plans. You know, like, is everything going on? Do you want to talk about anything? And with certain people like that also isn't going to work because like you said, a lot of people like to internalize and kind of bottle stuff up, but even just offering like that support or like, Hey, I'm going to come over. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Or, Hey, let's, you know, keep inviting, keep talking. Um, not like in an annoying way, but like, <laughs> like say like, Hey, like I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. You matter. Like, I want to make sure you're all right. So like stay engaged. Exactly. Um, and like, there's this one uh, interpersonal psychologist, Thomas Joyner, who talks about the theory of suicidal behavior and there's like three parts to it. And in like all my trainings, like they show it as like a little like Venn diagram. So like all the circles are covering over each other, but um, you have like one, which is perceived burdensomeness, which is basically like this person thinks like I'm a burden, mm-hmm. whatever's going on, depending on like what the situation is. They're like, I'm making things difficult for those people mm-hmm. in my life. Um, The second one is low sense of belongingness. So the idea that I'm alone. So, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not like you may have a support system, you may have friends and family, but like their thought and feeling is that they have nobody that they're by themselves. And then the third part is an acquired capability. And that's the idea, like, I'm not afraid to die, which when all of these things are happening together, that's where you get into that spot of like a really higher risk of a suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have one and two, which is like feeling a burden and feeling alone, that's where you start to see the desire for suicide. And that's where, you know, you may start to see the behavior changes where you want to engage and like, you know, talk to your friends. And for some people, they get to that point like, hey, like they know themselves enough to say like, I should probably go see somebody. I should reach out to friends. I should talk to a therapist. Not everyone has that awareness or not everyone has the willingness to engage when they're in that space. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a big thing is also giving them, giving like individuals who have these thoughts and feelings, the space to talk about it and coming with it as like a non judgmental way. Cause I know a lot of times people hear suicide, like, Oh my God, that person was so selfish. How could they ever do that? Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's not the, not the right way to respond. I mean, everyone has their own opinion and feelings, and I'm not here to judge that. But to say that somebody who was in that state was selfish, for someone to get to that point, they've gone through so much that I think for them, and I can't obviously speak for an individual who has completed suicide, but from what we know and like what in my field, like through papers and studies and all of that, um, most people get to that point because they feel like that is the only way out. That's the only way that they're going to feel better. That's the only way that they're going to make everyone around them feel better is if they cease to exist. So in a way it's like in their world, it's the least selfish response. Mm -hmm. And I know that's like a hard thing to hear too with adolescents. I mean, with anyone, some people will say like, Oh, they're feeling suicidal or, you know, saying like, Oh, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to exist. And someone's response is like, oh, it's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, they're just acting out because they want attention. And like for me, at the end of the day, I'm like, so what? 
Like yeah. if they're acting, if they're crying out for attention or they're acting, you know, like acting out because they're just having a cry for help. It's like, maybe you should lean in and help them. Right. Maybe you should lean in and like engage in that because obviously there's something going on for them that is serious. Yeah. And that might be the only way they know how to vocalize or, or release that. Exactly. It's, like a, it's a very delicate dance, I would say. Like in school, I know we always talked about like how therapy is an art. Like you find ways, like you understand the structure of it and then like you paint your own way around it and like, like which modalities you like and like your experiences. And I think also even in, you know, suicidality, there's an art to how you respond. Mm-hmm. And some days it needs to be very direct. Um, and sometimes there can be like a more gentle response to it where, you know, if I have a client or even just a friend who I'm sitting with, like I'll obviously like if with the client, there's a certain, you know, like legal actions I have to take but like even if it's just a friend who's saying like I'm suicidal I'm going to sit with them but it's also going to be dependent on who they are as a person mm-hmm. do I need to be direct and say like hey what weapons do you have in the house what how do you plan on doing this mm-hmm. um okay cool like I'm going to hold on to them you're not going to have them or like do we need to call somebody else do I need to walk you to a hospital so you can like get more serious help right now with all the isolation that's happening, we Mm -hmm. won't be able to see the patterns or the changes in behavior that we normally would when we had daily interactions with people. Is there a way we can, we can sense it or find out if somebody that we, we are close to might be going in a bad place? I will say this because that's a very hard, um, (laughs) put the spotlight on you, right? Answer Um, me. (laughs) No, but, um, I think some of it's going to be dependent on, the relationship you have with that person. Mm-hmm. How close are you? How much do you know their characteristic, their mannerisms? Um, you know, if it's somebody that you talk to like pretty frequently and all of a sudden they're not responding to you or you haven't heard from them in like weeks or when you do talk to them, there's a lot of um, like mending of the relationship of oh, like apologies for things that have happened or trying to like make right. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that are often red flags that something's going on if they start to want to give away things um like oh i brought all my art supplies over because i know you like them or like hey um i know you always really loved this collection i had like this is i want you to have it like i would be concerned um because often someone who's very serious about no, I say that other people aren't serious, but someone who's like in the midst of like, I have a plan, I'm going to mm-hmm. follow through with it. They're going to make right. They're going to kind of give away like their possessions because for them, they are clearing their slate of anything that like could be holding them back. Yeah. So, I mean, those are kind of things to look out for. But like I said, it's going to be dependent on your relationship with that person because you're right. It is hard. Like we don't see everyone every day anymore. You know, even if it's like a coworker, like if you're all working from home, like you wouldn't know if things have changed that significantly. Um, what is this that's... working from home you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I just barely started working from home. Um, I was working in the field for the last like two months. Mm. But uh, I, I mean, even that yeah, in so itself, it's that's that's pretty, I think, on par, like air quotes, essential workers. You guys are all out doing stuff. Uh, a lot of people are, I think the three of us right now are making up a majority of the United States. Like Tyler, you're yeah. still working, Mary, you work from home. I'm completely laid off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and those yeah. elements are a complete shift from what people are used to. And I know that can weigh heavy on somebody's psyche. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Even just bringing employment in general, yeah. because especially in our society, we are so wrapped up in what we do, mm -hmm. who we are as a professional, whatever that might be. That becomes our identity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you get so enmeshed in, I'm a therapist, not like I'm a person who practices therapy. Like that can be really hard if all of a sudden you're not working. So it's like, who am I? What do I bring to the table? And that's where I kind of have like different views with like the way our society structure works, but that's mm. a completely different topic. From what we're on. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, but really, you know, finding things that still keep you engaged and in relationship with one another is going to help to reduce some of those feelings of isolation, of depression, of anxiety, because we're in a weird shitty time. Like there's really no other way to say it. Like no, yeah. no one knows what the fuck is going on. Like no one knows what the outcome's going to be. And realistically we've spent the last six months in a high stress, like trauma response. Mm -hmm. Like Absolutely. your body is going to feel that even if you are the most well-adjusted, like socially dynamic person, like at the end of the day, like our body has been in fire flight for this mm -hmm. whole like six month period because of that even the fact that we're in a high stress we're in like crisis situations your body is constantly in a state of like high cortisol response mm -hmm. which is like a stressor which puts your immune system down which means like you're going to get sick more often you might not feel good that's going to add into the already stressful feelings of like things that are going on which can also add into isolation and depression which can you know lead back into potential like the suicide yeah i was gonna you know like with september wrapping up we did this towards the end of september um mm -hmm. semi-intentionally because yes yeah, september suicide awareness month we want to bring attention to that but also starting october is really the start of you know traditional american holidays where you know we're getting into halloween kind of kicks off the holiday season and then we have thanksgiving followed by christmas followed by new year's eve Mm -hmm. And I don't have the numbers to back it up. I just know off of previous training when we talk about it is during the holidays is typically where we see a spike in, you know, suicides or attempts, at least mm -hmm. in America. Um, yes. Seasonal depression is very oh, it's real. A real thing, it's a yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then any tips for people maybe going forward um, as we get into the holiday season just tips yeah. on, you know, what to look out for. We've kind of touched on it again, but also just in the midst of, you know, the holidays coming up and people feeling pressure to give gifts, do different things. Um, just wanted your thoughts and opinions on that. Yeah, as far as, you know, like what to watch out for and also how to cope if they're going through it. Um, I would say with the holiday season coming up, like you said, it is a higher chance of things happening. I actually recently read a study that um, it's not necessarily the holiday season, but it's like the drop right after that, like most of them happen. But around the holiday seasons, a lot of times it is because some people don't have families. Some people don't have social supports. Some people's families are difficult, dysfunctional, whatever word you want to use, insert there. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea of like holidays can be very stressful. I think this year it's going to be different yeah. um <laughs> the only word i can really think of 
accurate but yeah like it's just it's not going to be the same i don't think we're going to have a lot of the traditional activities i know they were trying to keep people from trick-or-treating mm-hmm. and that was a thing that a lot of people you know fought back against but i think moving forward it's going to just be trying to continue to have like open communication and i think for people who struggle with that this might be hard this year even more so mm-hmm. i think my best advice is gonna say if you don't get along with family don't force it i think that's my <laughs> advice most times anyway but like if you really know that being around your family makes it hard for you i would you know suggest like maybe not engaging in all of the family traditions blame it on like hey like if i go there i have to be quarantined and i can't be quarantined because i have to be at work or whatever you know like you have to use but to give yourself that separation or even say like okay i'm going to go to this one event but i'm not going to go to these others because i need to limit my interaction with these certain individuals um or if you're alone maybe finding ways to engage with others i know it seems like contradictory like those two statements but if you don't have you know like a close family have friends over or like do zoom parties with them um find ways to try and create that relationship that feels healthy um and i know not everyone knows what that feels like but being in a way that being with others that make you feel not even necessarily happy but like that you feel calm and collected and you don't feel like you're walking on eggshells or you don't think like okay great She's going to make another comment about this. And I know like I'm going to react this way. Um, just completely cutting that out and being like, you know what? I think I'm going to go hang out with my friends instead of going to this family function because I know every time I leave, I don't feel good. Or I know usually I don't go to these things because I don't like interacting with a lot of people, but maybe I'm going to go to this one that I know only two or three people are going to be there. Being able to kind of create that boundary for yourself. So essentially, yeah, like kind of create a safe space for you to mm-hmm. go and just be you. Exactly. Be and don't put literal. like, ex- <laughs> uh, but like don't put expectations on it, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. don't think like this holiday season is going to be exactly like all the others or like, oh, this, I'm going to be able to get presents for every single person in my family because that's what I always do. But it's like, don't put that pressure on yourself if, you know, maybe you're not working have that conversation be like, you know what, this is a weird year. How about we decide that our gifts to each other is going to be showing up for like a dinner or our gifts to each other is going to be like, we're going to interact together, but we're not going to actually purchase things. Yeah. Like, um, that was something I, well, Chris and Mary, you guys, I don't celebrate Christmas anymore, but, um, prior to my conversion, um, it was something we always kind of struggled with like why, you know, Christmas became this whole thing about like giving gifts and mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, you can talk about the commercial commercialization of Christmas and all this stuff, but like, it was something that, you know, we would always talk about where it's like one of those things like what happened to like just spending time with our family and trying to be around one another and not rip each other's heads off. Like that should be the important part of Christmas and like doing like dinner or like just spending time together. And I think maybe trying to find a way to get back to that, especially with everything going on now, it's just like, you know, our presence is your presence. Like, mm-hmm. um, I still think back, like, I think the best present we ever gave mom and dad for Christmas was that photo where the family took, where like, we'd never taken a photo together. And like, 
I've never seen a reaction from them like be so mm-hmm. happy over a gift and it was literally a photo in a frame like so which know, uh, your mom still wants to... me to photoshop the rest of the gang in because you forgot to invite everybody <laughs> yeah my bad sorry well, <laughs> uh, and, but I mean with that and, and just the simple things of creating a safe place like I I never really had a, a solid family growing up I, a very dysfunctional dysfunctional home a broken home it was just a mess and you guys were my safe place I was able to go to your house pretty much all the time. And I was yeah. there all the time. Yeah, we never got rid of you. No, Ever. <laughs> it's been like 28 years. I kid, I kid. You kept feeding him. He just kept showing up. Exactly. I'm a stray cat, cat man. That's, that's it. <laughs> but uh, no, you guys were my safe place. And uh, for that, I thank you guys. And uh, forever, we'll love you. And eat oh. your food forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand, Mary, you live closer to me now. So I will be raiding your fridge. It's a that thing. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually now closer than I have been. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, just having been in that place where you needed that space to go, it really is refreshing. It, it really mm-hmm. does feel good. And I encourage anybody who's listening and just, you might feel alone. You do have friends and I promise you, they won't mind you coming over to eat their food. They won't. Yeah, I think your friends would much rather get a phone call or a text message and just be like, hey, can I just come over and just like chill for a little bit and like, you know, get a bite to eat. They're going to, they would much rather get that phone call or that text message than a phone call or text message saying that like, hey, so-and-so is no longer here. Like this, you know, such and such happened. Like I can almost speak for it again, unless you're a serial killer and you just don't give a shit about people. Like I can guarantee you if you're struggling with something your friends would much rather hear that text message or call than get something from like mm-hmm. the police department or another family member saying this happened. Like that's devastating news. Nobody wants that. So if you're feeling that reach out, um, yeah. as someone who myself struggles a lot with like depression and anxiety and a lot of stuff, I've been in some of those like dark places and you have that, even if it's just one person just like to reach out and be like, Hey, I need to talk or I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm not having a good time. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that someone's there to listen is super helpful. And they may be, you know, across the country, they may be, you know, down the road, they may be, you know, not even there, but you can like reach out and like send a message and know that you're going to get a response at some point. Like it's very helpful and just be mindful of that. I think as yeah. we approach the season. Yeah. And in, in all honesty, if you don't feel that you have that, but you're listening to this, you can reach out to us. We won't put anything yeah, public. Definitely. We'll just talk with you about anything you want literally yeah we can be the best friends that you never thought you needed and and just come out and hang out with us link yeah we're we're totally fine with that and you know especially coming from a place a few months right at the beginning of the the covid lockdown one of my very very long time friends since fourth or fifth grade uh i got a call from his brother letting me know that he he passed away uh he, he ended up committing suicide because of depression and just everything else that was going on in his life. And it was a call I never wanted to pick up, you know, like you see the number and like, that's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely reach out just, just to talk sometimes just venting just mm-hmm. really helps a lot. Yeah. Sometimes just having somebody who's going to listen, like it can be like nonsense sometimes like, mm-hmm. you know, but just having somebody that, you know, is going to validate and not dismiss what's going on like is huge. Like I think about um, like going through college, like had a lot of times where I was like, wow, this, what does the kids say? Straight up not having a good time. Um, <laughs> Zero out of was, 10, would not do it again. <laughs> exactly, would not recommend. Um, 
and like honestly I think like to this day like we joke about it but like my best friend like in college like we both say like honestly I think the only reason why like we made it through college and like still here is because of each other like random like conversations like three in the morning because neither of us can sleep it's like okay cool like that like made it possible and like manageable so even if you think like oh it's not a big deal it's like just listening to somebody is like a huge thing yeah and i think i don't think i've ever shared this with you two but there was a point where i had some stuff happen and i was kind of in that place where i was like you know what fuck this like i had a plan everything was working out and i reached out to a friend of mine and like through talking with him it was just random nonsense and like just having that conversation was like okay like i want to do this again and just keep having that conversation going and like talking to somebody like it's very you don't understand like what that means the moment until like Mm -hmm. you kind of pass through that moment and you're like holy shit like that moment like literally was a defining moment in my life where it's like you know i felt like there's nothing there and then all of a sudden just one conversation with someone kind of flipped that coin and you're like okay and then conversely you know, having friends who have reached out and, you know, stuff that's happened and like trying to like, talk with them, like trying to remember that, that state of mind, like just knowing that someone could be rambling to you about random shit about like the weather and, you know, the sports team and how awesome the 49ers are doing, <laughs> you know, that stuff helps out. Um, you know, you don't realize in the moment that you're having a conversation with someone who's in that space where they're not having a good time and they're really seriously considering things and just being open to those conversations. Um, is really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If we're being very yeah. candid, I, I'd like to share my story wh- mm-hmm. when I was close to that. Uh, same kind of thing. I was working at this uh, dive bar. Uh, I, I think you worked there for a hot second. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working at this bar, and it, it was a very dark, low time in my life. I mean, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. It, everything was bad. And uh, I decided at the bar, I was outside smoking a cigarette and I'm like, I, you know what? I think this is it. This, this is my last night. I'm, this is the last time I'm going to, I'm going to see all of this. This is it. This is it. And it was a karaoke night and somebody, uh, I'm like, okay, if this God, if you're real universe, if you're real, I need a sign that's telling me I need to just stick it out. I just need one little sign. And sure enough, as I'm like kind of having that thought in my head, somebody starts singing Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And I'm like, oh, God dang it. Come on. And uh, so now I have a love-hate relationship with that song. But anyway, nice. you know, that was, that was, it was just my little thing. And then it just kind of, I felt like a, a burden was lifted and mm-hmm. things are okay. I think what we're trying to say is there's always someone there that can listen there's always something going on we've been through some pretty serious stuff so if you know like chris said earlier if you're listening to this for some reason and you feel like you have no one to talk to please reach out to us or our friend mary here is a psychologist she's a counselor yeah i'm always here for like resources so if like you know someone does reach out i'm more than happy to you know like steer you in the right direction yeah um and also there's like national hotlines that you can call. Um, if you don't like calling, there's a text line. Yeah, they set up a text line recently. That's awesome. Can you uh, share that text line? Yes, the text line for the U.S. and Canada is 741-741. And you can like literally text like start or hello or like mm-hmm. hey, and they are trained crisis counselors who will be responding to you. 
And I think that's super awesome because there's, especially with the younger generation, I guess our generation and younger is very more tech savvy. And Mm -hmm. like, I know when it comes to like, if you're going to order a pizza, like no one, I was like, we would fight over who's going to call to order the pizza because no one wants to talk on the phone. It's the worst. I still fight over who has to make the phone call to order. So it's like, you know, the ability to to send a text message, I think is really, it lifts a deterrent from people Mm -hmm. who want to get help. Yeah. And And if you go to crisischat.org, um, you can do like online chatting with somebody. And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And they do have a chat feature as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're not like in crisis and just want to talk to somebody, there's these things called warm lines, which are usually ran by like peers. So not necessarily like trained crisis counselors or um, therapists, but if you go to warmline.org there's a list for all of the states and they have ones that are state specific and then there's a few that are also nationwide so yeah there there's options available and please don't hesitate to reach out to any of them but i think i can speak for the both you know the both of you and like for all three of us that i know that in any one of us if someone reached out and like hey i need help like i'm not feeling safe i'm not feeling good we would drop whatever we're doing and drive to your house or fly to your house wherever you are to try to help you like Mm-hmm. We're here. We would we would do whatever we can in our power to help you. And even if that's just referring you to help, we would do that. But I know we would do whatever we can to try to help. Yeah. Because if you reach out to me, I'm not having my psychology hat on, which means I can show up at your house. <laughs> I don't have a psychology hat, so I'll just show up at your house See, anyway. Perfect. Yep. And I'm bald, so I got nothing up there. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you wore hats to cover the fact that you're bald, Chris. I do it to accent the beard, actually. And I actually just mm. like wearing hats. I enjoy my baldness. It makes it easy. But yeah, yeah, Mary, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing that, that information with us. That's uh, I think it's really good. And especially yeah, again with Christmas time coming up, it's about to get mm-hmm. even heavier than it already is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for bringing in such a heavy topic, but I think it's something. I mean, that... we planned it. We knew that's what we were getting. Yeah. Into. Yeah. I think we didn't. I, mean, I say bring in like I like showed up with it, like without you guys knowing. Yeah. No. <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> motherfuckers. That's yeah. what we're talking about. It um, was, we kind no, of but briefly. I think, like the more people can get comfortable with it. Like, yeah. Definitely. I mean, granted, I wrote my entire thesis on death. So like, I'm totally okay talking about stuff like this, but um, not everyone is. Yeah. And I think the more often we can have some of these conversations and make it a little bit more lighthearted because it can be a heavy topic. Um, more people are going to be willing to reach out to be like, Hey, you know what? Not, not a good space today. Exactly. Yeah. And it's perfectly okay to be there. So yeah, exactly. It's okay to not be okay. All right. Well, I think that just about does it, right? <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> we're good. So. Yeah. Again, Mary, thank you so much for your time, for your information and, uh, just for for being there to help help us with this issue we knew going into it would be a heavier one so uh just having your professional opinion and thoughts on it really helped i think clarify things yeah Yeah. of course i appreciate that you guys wanted me to talk about it um and i'm always more than happy to come back on if you have other topics as well so that is our show for this week guys uh if again you need us reach out uh there's hotlines we'll post all of that stuff on our socials as well as uh wherever you stream And uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.